it's a privilege to speak to you in these amazing days that you would choose to come to Israel and stand with us. I was so blessed to hear my brother from Cyprus speak about the one new man of Jew and Gentile in one body, a dwelling place for the Lord in the spirit. And let me just say to you, that is the end time message. That is what God is finally restoring to his church. It's the way we began and it's the way we're going to usher in his glory. Praise God. We are the one new man, my wife and I. That's the, what the Lord put in our hearts when we married, when we moved to Israel. And uh, the ministries the Lord has raised up is to the Jew first, but also to the Arabs and the Greeks. Her worship team is Arabs and Jews and Russians and Ukrainians and Germans, and I don't know who all. Uh, on Shabbat, she'll be leading worship in Hebrew, Arabic, Russian, and tongues. <laughs> Hallelujah. But that's the tabernacle of David. David's in there. The Jews are in there. The Arabs are in there. The Gentiles are in there. And when you start worshiping the Lord like that, God comes. And that's what we need. <laughs> uh, many years ago, before I was married, the Lord began burdening me with Israel. So I came to Israel had a series of miraculous encounters here. I wrote about them in my first book, The Road to Carmel. So many people said, how'd you leave acting on Broadway and end up on Mount Carmel? Well, it's in the book. If you want to read it, it's over there. Uh, one of those encounters was on Mount Carmel. And I was seeking the Lord, and I was crying out to the Lord, speak to me again, and I was keeping a journal of what he was telling me while I was in Israel. And so I was on the northern end of Mount Carmel, overlooking the port city of Haifa, and the Lord didn't say anything. And uh, so I waited on the Lord, waited on the Lord. So I said, well, I guess he said everything he's going to say. I'll go back to New York. So I got in my car and started to drive off the mountain down to the Mediterranean to go back to the, to the airport. And uh, I turned on the news. I, I thought I'd try to get some news. I hadn't listened to anything for two weeks. I was just being saturated with the Lord and his purposes for Israel and so on. And um, through the radio in the rental car, came this song, this voice singing, It Is Finished, in English. And I was in Israel. And there was a choir behind this voice. And it kept singing over and over, It is finished, it is finished, it is finished. Well, the fire of God came down in my car is the only way I can describe what happened. I couldn't drive. I started weeping. I'm weeping now even remembering what happened in that car. But the fire of God came down on me on Mount Carmel, and I had asked the Lord to speak to me. And it was the fire of his love. And I couldn't stand it. I would say, stop. And then it would come again, and great waves of the fire, the cleansing, purifying, sanctifying, refining fire. And he was saying to me, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished. And he was finishing me there, right, right where I was. I couldn't drive. It went on. Time stopped. And I finally turned, tried to drive, and it happened again. I had to pull over. And so I want to talk to you about fire on Mount Carmel. The fire of God descended upon me on the mountain of Elijah where he had called the fire down. So I somehow staggered back to New York and just knew that I'd had an encounter with God. The fire of God had come down on Mount Carmel. Of course, now you look back and you understand more of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We never understand totally the supernatural, but 
he was trying to tell me my old life in America was finished and he had something he wanted me to do on Mount Carmel. You know, I just didn't get it yet. So, uh, so I married a Jew and that, that I should have figured it out, you know. But um, now, on Mount Carmel, we moved to Israel in 1989. And on Mount Carmel, our drug and alcohol rehabilitation center on Mount Carmel is called House of Victory. It's 16 years old. It's been filled... It's filled now with beds of Arabs and Jews coming off drugs and alcohol, Russians, Ukrainians. It's the one new man. It's, that's what the Lord told us to raise up a congregation, raise up works of Jew and Gentile in one body. So um, right down the hill from where I had the visitation of the Holy Spirit is where our drug and alcohol rehabilitation center is. So in July of this past year, I was having dinner with the director of House of Victory, he came here loving the Jews. He's a Gentile. In Bible school, they called him Rabbi Benson. He grew a beard. So, of course, he fell in love with an Arab Christian who got saved in our congregation. I had the privilege of marrying them on Mount Carmel, and Arabs and Jews were dancing. We called it the dance of the two camps. So this American came loving the Jews and married an Arab, and now he's an Israeli citizen because she's an Israeli citizen. So I'm having dinner, his name's Eric, wonderful young man. So Eric and his wife Sophie and their two daughters, they now live on the top of Haif, the uh, House of Victory on Mount Carmel, down the hill from where the fire fell on me. So we're having dinner, it happened to be July 12th. In the middle of the dinner, there was an explosion. And I was here during the first Gulf War. I know what scuds are, and I knew when the mountain shook, and we ran through the night putting our gas masks on, trying to get in the bomb shelter. I've been through all that, you know. So Eric said, what's that? Because the mountain shook. I said, that's Hezbollah. They just hit Haifa. We went out on the porch of House of Victory and looked up the slope, and the mountain was on fire. It had missed homes, but it was burning trees, and trees were on fire, and his girls started to cry. And it was right meters or yards down from where the fire of God fell in my car so many years ago. You see, there is God's fire, but there's also the enemy's fire. And we need to be bathed in the baptism of fire. The congregations, the believers, we need to be on fire. The, day, the hour is too late. We are living in a season of sudden. Those rockets got here in 60 seconds. We're 18 miles from Lebanon. They tried to, you know, have a siren, but it would be too late. Sometimes they already hit. We had four minutes when Saddam Hussein sent them to us, you know, a little bit more warning. But we are living in a season of sudden. The birth pangs that Jesus was talking about are getting faster and more intense. And if you live in London, you ought to know it. And if you live in New York, you ought to know it. If you live in Indonesia, you ought to know it. It's now. It's now or never. The Jews are back in the land. They're starting to turn to the Lord. More Jews have turned to the Lord in the recent months than any time since the book of Acts. It's a sign. That's what God is doing. And the church needs to get its act together and get on fire. We're supposed to be ministers of fire, the fire of God. And when you bring an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, a clean heart, a pure heart with clean hands, the fire of God will be upon you. 
And that's what we need. The enemy is bringing his fire. Sometimes we have false fire even in the body. In the book of Leviticus, at the end of chapter 9, when, when everything was in order and, and, and Aaron and Moses did what they were supposed to do, the fire of God fell on the sacrifice. It means the sacrifice has been accepted by the Lord. And then the sons, the sons of Aaron brought false fire, profane fire. In Hebrew, it means it smelled. Smell it. You can't bring him a disease sacrifice. You cannot bring him anything but a clean and a pure heart. So the fire of God can not only sanctify you, can not only refine you, but use you in ways you don't have any idea. That's what the Lord wants to do. Missile, as, as rocket after rocket hit Haifa. Um, our next door neighbor is a Holocaust survivor from Germany. Her name's Hannah. So as the rockets came, and we'd hear an air raid siren, I would say to Hannah, my next door neighbor, you want to come down to the bomb shelter? M most of the people in our building, they left. They went to Tel Aviv and got out of Haifa. They were scared. And Hannah, who's in her 80s, she said, I'm going to sit in my chair here in the hallway. I think it's safe here. I'm not running down there. I'll be doing that up and down all night. And she said, if Hitler didn't get me, Hezbollah won't get me. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then a rocket would hit. I was getting you know, up on the promenade that overlooks the port city of Haifa, another place that I pray. The place where the fire fell in my car is where I, I literally park my car at that place and go down and pray on the mountain now. It's my place, one of my prayer places on Mount Carmel. And the fire falls on me there sometimes when I go and pray. I stand on a, a British machine gun bunker from Mandate days, and I pray for England, and I pray for Europe, I pray for Greece, I pray for Italy, I pray for Haifa, I pray for Israel, I pray for Jerusalem. I go on a promenade that overlooks the port city of Haifa, and we have a praise and prayer meeting there. We stand there, and we worship Jesus in Hebrew and in Arabic and in Russian and in tongues, we proclaim these dry bones shall live. We proclaim Ezekiel 36, and people come by and stand and want to know what's going on. And some people have come to the Lord right on the mountain just hearing the praises of God. And that very place where we proclaim the fire of God will come back to our people. The cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit is in the days of Elijah. As we proclaim it there, at the very place during the war, there, the, that, very, the, that very place, there was CNN, there was BBC, there was the NBC, there was this, there was that, and all this, whatever they were saying about what was going on. But the whole world knew that Haifa was on Mount Carmel, praise God. I got emails from people I hadn't talked to in 40 years. For, for, former actors that I, I didn't know if they were alive or dead, a students of mine when I used to teach acting, and people I went to the university with, all of a sudden they found out we had a website. You know, are you the David Davis that used to be an actor? I, I knew you 40, what's going on over there? So the, the word was going out. Now BBC and whatever they were saying wasn't, wasn't the true word, of course. But God, the God Channel was there, so I was up there with God Channel one day. They were going to interview me. So as we were walking up, <laughs> they, they, they came in, they had their cameras and all that stuff, and the siren went off. I dove on my face. So they dove on their face. The guy's trying to get his camera going, like, this will be good. There was this tremendous explosion. 
It ricocheted off the hotel behind us and it made it even worse. And the cameraman goes, when will this be over? I said, I don't know, brother. I'm praying in tongues and you better do it too. But the, word, the truth was going out even on the God Channel and, and the 700 Club and stuff like that. That all this other secular stuff was up there. You know, we need the fire of God. The f get on fire. <laughs> you have got to be on fire. It's the fire of his presence that will bring the Jews. They will melt the veil. It'll even melt Greek veils. Hallelujah. I know all about Greek philosophy. Sophocles was one of my gods, you know, great playwright. Many, many, is Sophocles still here? Oh, okay. Many, many years ago, Sophocles, I, I uh, you know, the Greeks were my god and Shakespeare and all that stuff. I was an actor. And I went to the, to the theater of Dionysus in Athens. And I stood there, you know, in the Parthenon's up above there. And I went, wow, it all started here. The Greeks who now knew how to do theater. Oh, and they, it was part of their religion. Well, last spring, I, I mentioned to Sophocles, I was back in Athens preaching, preaching in a church. I didn't even go to that theater. Who cares about it? It doesn't mean anything. We need the fire of God to come to Athens. Not to mention Jerusalem and New York and, and London and any other place that you're from. You know, on Mount Carmel, where the fire fell, we cry out for it over and over and over again. Lord, send the fire of your approval. When the sacrifice is accepted, the fire comes. It's the approval of God. What do you think the baptism of the Holy Spirit was all about? Fire came on them. Why? The sacrifice of Jesus was accepted. Fire came. We were birthed in fire. We should be the, the, the movement of the fire of God. We should be ministers of the fire of God. Hallelujah. Elijah, the great prophet. We love to talk about, I'm going to talk about him, of the fire coming on Mount Carmel. But how did he get that fire to fall? How could he pray a 15-second prayer and the heavens would be ripped open? And a thunderbolt of fire would come down and burn up everything on that. How did he do that? You know, the Lord told him after he sat for a year at a brook. Brothers and sisters, get to a brook. Drink of the Holy Spirit. Spend time with the Lord. Let a raven feed you. Let him, let him bring you some meat of the word. Let him bring him some bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Hallelujah. Spend time with God. So don't spend time on the internet. You will hear, <laughs> I don't even know how to do it. My wife does it, you know. I thank God for it. Look, get a hold of God. So, so the Lord says to him, okay, prophet, you've prophesied. The whole country knows who you are. Now go to Seraphat. We would have said, Seraphat? That's Jezebel's hometown. She's trying to kill me. She's killing the prophets. Seraphat, I'm a Jew. They're not Jews. They're heathen. They're Canaanites. Seraphat, you know what Seraphat means? Fire. It means refining. It means the, it means the refining fire of God. A Jewish prophet goes to a non-Jewish widow. It's the one new man. Hallelujah. 
<laughs> it's Jew and Gentile in one body. But he went. Raised the boy from the dead. Let me tell you a secret. People are purified by other people. Hello? Prophets are purified by people. What if he didn't go? What if he said, I'm not going there. I'm a Jew. God wouldn't have used him. He went there and got refined. Can you imagine what they were saying in that town? She's living with a Jew. Can you imagine? I wonder if they knew that he prophesied there was no rain. He became a father. He was being purified. He was being transformed by the fire of God, and he was becoming a father to that boy that he raised from the dead, and God was preparing him. What was he preparing him for? To go back to Israel, confront Ahab, and I'll send the rain. That's what the Lord told him. So he went. And he came back to the mountain of Carmel, and let's look at it. Let's uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, you know it very well, but maybe the Lord will show us a little something deeper here. Elijah said, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And my friends, that's what we need. We need the baptism of fire. We need everything burned up except Jesus. The hour is so late. It's now or never. There's never been a time like this. It's now for the nations. So look at verse 26. The big confrontation. You know, in, in Greek theater, there's a word, agon. I probably mispronounced it, which, where we get our word agony. And it was a confrontation between right and wrong. And, and you knew when you saw it, there was a battle to the death. And one of, these, one of them wasn't going to make it. Well, this was an agon. This was a battle between the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the false god called Baal. This was a battle to the death. And we need to battle the false gods that are in our life to the death and get rid of them, take them down to the Kishon and ex execute them like he did. So look at verse 26, the end of it. The false prophets up there, they leaped, they danced about the altar which they had made. Have you ever been aware, as you've read 1 Kings 18, that there were two altars up there? There was one that they made. And we have altars all over Israel that are to false gods. Might be your television set. You have them all over Athens. You have them, there's, there's altars to false gods everywhere. You go to India, they're on every, every, you know, every corner, every, less than every block. Every shop has a, you know, has a Hindu god in front of it. So the fire will never fall on an altar that you make in the flesh. We need to do it God's way. When Aaron did it God's way, the fire fell. When Solomon did it God's way, the fire fell. And the priests fell on their face, and no one could minister, and the presence of God was manifested in Israel. And that's what we need desperately in Israel, and you need it in Colorado Springs or wherever you're from. 
So they, nothing happened on that altar, but let, let's look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. It was God's altar. It was Elohim's altar. It was the true altar. Now, there had been an altar up there. I don't know if Joshua built it when he came into the land. The tribe of Asher never really got to Carmel like they were supposed to, history tells us. But some believers, some Israelites that worshipped Elohim had had an altar up there, but it had been torn down. When I go through places in England or other places, and you go to a place and John Wesley preached here, and the place is like a cemetery now, playing at religion. Or even worse, you go to a place, George Whitefield preached here. Look, those guys brought the great awakening to the American colonies on horses. Everywhere they went, the fire fell. The racetracks closed. The bars closed. People fell on their face in Philadelphia and Annapolis. Now you go to places like that where, where Wesley was. It's a mosque. You see, there have been altars, and the fire's not on them. And brothers and sisters, we're keepers of the flame. You are supposed to be a keeper of the flame of God. First of all, you got to get the flame of God. Then you got to stir up. The, then you need to let the Holy Spirit blow on it and cleanse it and sanctify it and release it. So there was an altar that was up there, and it says Elijah repaired it. In Hebrew, it means he healed it. It's a word for healing and doctor. And he put those 12 stones together on Mount Carmel in our new congregational building. We call it our worship center. That's what we have. It's like a Greek theater because I like that form. Hallelujah. People are around on three sides, but the altar has the 12 stones around. It's a prophetic act that the 12 tribes are coming back to Israel. The fires, we have a skylight over it for the fire to fall on the sacrifice. We don't want it to literally fall. I don't want to build another building. Once is enough. We want the fire of his presence to fall. Now, listen to me. The fire is falling, but we need more. A couple of weeks ago, we were leading a repentance meeting in London. Many of you there? In, in London, yeah. I tell you, there's hope for the British church. They lined up on the street in London to get into a seven-hour repentance meeting for what the British did to the Jews, which is another story. And we had to get extra rooms and put television screens in there. The place was packed. And as we, they wept and they wept and they wept and pe people laid down and cried. It was the priest between, it was, jo you know, it was Joel 2 happening. Because of what they did in Haifa, they sent almost 2 million Jews back to the gas chamber at Haifa where I live. And I looked down at the port, the Jews call it the dock of tears. When they had a mandate to bring the Jews home and steward, a, create a homeland for the Jewish people. So Britain has one last mandate. They better get it right with Israel this time. And they're in trouble because Tony Blair is going to be out of office in the spring. And where are they going from there? That's why the hour is late. The church has got to stand with God's purposes for the Jewish people now. We need to be biblically correct, not politically correct. And it will cost you. They won't like you. Even people in your own church won't like you. Take your stand in righteousness. Let the fire fall on you. So he healed the altar of the Lord. He put 12 stones there.
Our church, our congregational building is built on a huge bedrock. Yeshua, the rock. So I love that song, Atatsu, you are my rock. And we, we carve 12 stones out of it, big ones, and put them around the altar. The altar in Hebrew, Mizbeach, means place of the sacrifice, place where something's going to be slaughtered. Altars were bloody. You ever, you ever think about chopping up a bull? I wonder what it looked like. So here's Elijah confronting the government, confronting the army, confronting false religion, taking a stand, the Lord God of Israel before whom I stand. He was in right standing with the Lord. That's how he got the word of the Lord. Elijah was a man with a nature like you. He prayed and wouldn't pray, and it did. That, that's, what the, that's what the New Testament says. The fervent effect of righteous prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It's about Elijah. It's for us, of course. You know, rabbis and other people think he was some superhuman angel or something. They, don't, they can't figure it out. How could a man move in that, the spirit and power of Elijah like he did? So he took the 12 stones, verse 31, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Can you imagine this prophet putting those stones around there and the people, all the tribes, you know, they were there with their banners and their spears and there were the elders and the children and everybody was up there. And he put 12. The 10 northern tribes were separated from Judah and Benjamin down here in the south. It was a prophetic act. Do you think some of those tribal guys, the leaders were going, he's saying we're going to be unified. Look, son. Look, Benjamin. Look, Jacob. Eliyahu, Elijah, saying we're going to, we won't be having civil wars. They were having civil wars. They had false calves they were worshiping, two of them, up there in northern Israel where I live. So he said, Twelve. Twelve is the number, the biblical number of authority. Twelve apostles, twelve gates. It was such a prophetic act that this man was doing because he wanted the fire to fall. He took the twelve stones. Look at verse 32. Then with the stones he built. The word for built there is, or stones there, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, in the, the name, the character of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. The 12 stones are authority, and built in Hebrew means to bear sons. Let me say it again. He built an altar, but it also means, it's a word for building, but it's, a, it's, it's the word for son, Ben. We're supposed to be building the body. The spirit and power of Elijah turns the hearts of the fathers back to the children. My job is to make disciples. And I praise God that I have spiritual sons on Mount Carmel, and they're Jews and Arabs. Well, they're also Ethiopians. Because my job, I turn it over to them. We're supposed to train them up, and that will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with it. We have not many fathers. We've got all kinds of teachers. You know, years ago, the Lord brought 
two brothers, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, to the House of Victory. They were in big, big trouble. And my wife and I, the Lord spoke to us that we should take them as our boys, and we did. And uh, the oldest boy, he was 13, his name is Yeshurun. It's a word for Israel, and it means, it comes from Yeshar, which means straight and blessed. But he was so beaten down by what had happened in his family. His parents are dead now. He used to stand like this. And Karen would say, Ron, stand up straight. And one day in a meeting, the fire of God hit him. I saw it. It was like he was incinerated. The fire came on him. Wham! He started weeping and sobbing, fell on his face. That night, the day before, he would say, hey, Dad, can I go out late tonight? And it's always this battle, you know, with your teenagers. Three, three o'clock in the morning, I hear this strange sound. I wake up, what's that? It's my son in his room praying in tongues. He's never looked back. You know why? The fire hit him. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and he wants more of the fire. Look, we, you need to pray the fire down on your children. We need to press in. We're in a war. There's false fire. There's the enemy's fire. But we need to pray, Lord, send the fire. General Booth used to sing that great song, send the fire. Send the fire. Burn up every trace of sin. Let the light of your glory in. Send the fire. He changed London. Crying out for the fire, the presence of God to come to London, to come to your church, to come to your marriage, to come on your children. Look, I got saved when somebody brought me in a meeting where actors and dancers and singers and models had started a congregation in the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't really know what they were doing, but praise God, God was all over the place. The worship was awesome. Broadway singers that got filled with the Holy Spirit. I walked in there, wham, I was on my face. I didn't know what hit me. I was sobbing and weeping. I couldn't stand up. I, I looked up, and I met Jesus. And he's all light, and I was dirty. And he took this tremendous weight off of me, and I became a new creation. No one even preached the gospel to me. I figured it out when I went home, so I didn't ever read this before. But it was the power of God. It was the fire of God. And that's what we need. Ezekiel saw it leave. It broke his heart in a vision. We needed to come back. The Shekinah glory to come to the congregations, to come to the Arab congregations. That people walk in and fall on their face. When all those people were weeping in London, you know what? I got a call that night from a deaconess. She said, an elderly German, German Jewish. Now, how could a German Jew come to Jesus after the Holocaust? Two German Jews, elderly Holocaust survivors, were in our meeting on that Shabbat. It was September 16th when we were weeping in London, and they came to the Lord. And I know it was the prayers that, that did it. It's a miracle. The veil fell off. They want to know everything. Well, how do I study? Where do I read the Bible? How do I? They're new believers in their 80s. And they're Jews from Germany. God is able when the fire comes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look, all those, the water around that, what does that water represent? Maybe it's the word of God that washes us. Was it Elijah's tears? You can spiritualize it and see all kinds of things in it. He put wood on there. He chopped up a bull. 
put, arrange the wood, put these big bloody pieces of a bowl in there, on there. There was blood everywhere. He got vessels of water. We're supposed to be pouring ourselves out, amen? Poured the water all over it so wouldn't, couldn't be any counterfeit. And let's just look at his prayer for a moment. Verse 36. At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Elijah came near, and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Do you see that? All these things at your word? If you want the courage, the boldness, the spirit and power of Elijah, that John the Baptist had, that he was least in the kingdom of God, is greater than John the Baptist. That's what my Bible says. He didn't know about the cross. But if you want to move in that kind of power, he did everything at the word of God. Go to Zarephath. He got up and went. That's all it says. He didn't argue. Go sit at the brook. He went. Confront Ahab and I'll send the rain. He went. Why didn't they kill him? Because God told him, Ahab was trying to kill him. He went and confronted him to his face. Because I've done, if you hear, a prophet is a person who has a word that is not his own. It's his. That's all it is. Because God told me to do it. Tells you to go to Israel and work with Jews and Arabs. And all the leaders say, you can't. You just tell them, well, I don't believe in the wisdom of man anymore. I'm not into the Greek mindset. I believe in the power of God. It says we're one new man and one body. That's what God told me. And so then, the, then it's on God. Then he'll do it. You just obey him. So look what he says. I've done all these things. I think he meant not all the things, everything up to that time. He obeyed and went to, he started cross-cultural evangelism. A Jew went to non-Jews. Because the Lord told him to do it. So he went. You know, when the South, South Lebanese army pulled out of Lebanon in two, the spring of 2000, we knew it was going to happen when the Israeli army pulled out. We went up there and planted a congregation. It's in Naharia, right on this side of the Lebanese border on the Mediterranean. During this last war, we had to get them all out of there because you probably saw on television, Naharia has been hit by, all these, hit by all these rockets. But you know about half, maybe I'm exaggerating, 25% of that congregation are named Elijah. Ilya in Arabic. I would say Ilya, and they'd all turn around. The grandfather, you know, they love Elijah. Why? Because he went to where is now Lebanon. He's a hero. And Carmel and Lebanon are connected in the Isaiah 35. And the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed to Carmel and Lebanon. And, it's, and that's what you pray it as Isaiah 35. The Lord says it. Now look what it says here. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, experienced it, God is omnipotent. His presence is everywhere, but he manifests his presence when he finds a sacrifice that he can bless. And it brings the presence of God, and people fall on their face and accept their Messiah. It's supernatural. The Lord, Elohim, who Adon, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It was because of the sacrifice 
that he offered. Now the word for burning and fire, one of the words for God is Elkanah. It means the jealous God, but it comes from burning. He has a burning jealousy for you, for me. Now think, of, think about this, for the Jewish people. He's jealous. He's burning for them. Our God is a jealous God. The spirit that dwells in you and me yearns jealously. He wants fellowship with us. He wants to burn up all the junk when the fire fell. Everything burned. Now, what does this represent to us today? Did Elijah understand all this? No, he didn't. On a mountain in Galilee, Jesus went up there and took two of his leaders in training. And Elijah showed up. And Moses. And Peter was blown away. He said, let's make a couple of tabernacles. Look, I, I don't make fun of Peter. I love Peter. Maybe if we have a sukkah, maybe they'll stay long. I don't know what, what he was trying to help God or something. But when you read in Luke what happened there, what were they talking about? You know what they were talking about? Jesus, Yeshua, was talking about the exodus he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. He was talking about the cross. He was talking about the fire of God would be poured out when he went back to the Father, his exodus that he would obtain by dying for you and me and dying for the Jewish people in the whole world. He's the sacrifice. It's his blood. The wood is the cross. The water came out of his side. The fire of God's holiness came down. The fire of God's love. The fire that hit me in the car. The fire that Isaiah saw. And he couldn't, when they sang Kadosh, 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 and he said, burn my lips, change my heart. I thought I was holy. The fire of his love to sanctify us and purify us, that we can be vessels of fire, that we can be ministers of fire, that we can lay hands on people, and the fire of God will come on them. This is what we need. It costs. It costs Jesus everything. It means laying aside old stuff, old agendas, old ideas, religious stuff we've been doing, and get a hold of God, hear the voice of the Lord, obey him, and then he watches over his word, and he performs it. That's what he's looking for. A church that's on fire. This is all about the cross. Where we come and die. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. That's what my Bible says. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and loved me. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by whom the world was crucified to me and I was crucified to the world. The first time I preached, that's what I said. All these drug addicts, all these alcoholics, all these people dying of AIDS. I said, Lord, I don't know how to preach. He just gave me that. I said it to him. I closed my eyes and I said, Lord, save three. I started praying in tongues. All these people were kneeling there and weeping because it was the cross. It's the cross. And when we live the crucified life, we'll have the fire of God flowing through us to reach the Jews, to reach the Muslims. 
to reach the Greeks. You're not as stiff-necked as the Jews. The Bible says so. You just have hard hearts. And God can melt that too. Let us have grace by which we may serve God with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Brothers and sisters, do you have the guts to ask for the fire of God to come on you? Moses saw a burning bush, and he didn't go like that. He went to it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't say, oh. They said, our God will deliver us even if he doesn't. We're not bound out of that stuff. And the Lord was in the fire with him because he is the consuming fire. God wants to give us a baptism of fire. That's all I know. I don't know about you, but I want it. I can't stand it. It, it. It was time when holy men have laid hands on me or time when the fire of God has come on me. I mean, it's, it's it, his love. It, it's always love. And I'm groveling around and weeping under some chairs or something going, how can he love me? I'm not. But he's, it's because he yearns for me and he yearns for you. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's just clo close our eyes. Lord, we are desperate for the fire of God to come back to Mount Carmel. And I believe there are people here that are desperate for the fire of God. To come to their cities, to come to their towns, to come to their countries, to come to their governments, to come to their children, to come to their parents. But Lord... You need to send the fire to us. You need to set us on fire. John Wesley used to say, just come and watch me burn. Hallelujah. There was nothing there but, but you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies, the love of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. If you want to present your body to God and ask him to send the fire of his holiness, the fire of his love, the fire of his presence into your heart, maybe you haven't had a touch from God in a long time. Maybe you have. Maybe you need more fire. I, need more. I ask, Lord, send the fire. I ask for fire every day. I want to be a fire bearer. I want to be a minister of fire. I want to die to all the kinds of junk that's still hanging on me so that the fire can touch people. So if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, just get out of your seat and come down here and we'll, we'll see what happens.